All right, if you turn to Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking here at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And apologize, we don't have slides today, but I think we can make it without them. We'll try. Um, And the title of my message is The Focus of the Early Church. And before I get to the Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, I just want to read the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1 kind of uh, setting this up and what we're looking at tonight. Um, You know, the book of Acts was written by Luke, uh, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And and so Acts is a continuation, a continuing telling of the story of the work of Jesus. And now in the book of Acts, the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And so picking up here in verse one, he says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his authority, in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so Acts is the beginning of the story of the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. Um, you know, Luke recorded these events led by the Spirit of God to encourage the church, to encourage us today. He shows us how the Spirit, he's going to show us how the Spirit worked through the church. And as we uh, center in in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 in just a minute, we're going to get a glimpse of that. Of course, as you know, the leaders of the early church were the apostles. And And that's one of the reasons I wanted to read this opening section, and I'm going to come back to that point as we talk about the verses we're going to look at tonight. But they and many of those who made up the first generation of the church had walked with Jesus. So I think it's important that we observe what they were doing as the church began. And some things I just want to note from Luke's introduction here. You know, in verse 2 and 3, Luke speaks of the fact that Jesus gave commandments to the apostles and that he presented himself to them after his resurrection and that he, um, he spoke to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So there was like, there was 40 days of time that he had with them and he continued to teach them, to give them commandments and to speak to them about the things of the kingdom of God. And then verses four and five, Jesus commanded them to wait for the promise of the father which comes in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit being poured out upon the church. And then verses 6 through 8, Jesus commanded them to stay focused on the task of being witnesses to the world. You see there in verse 7, they were still kind of 
being distracted. They wanted to know, when are you going to set up your kingdom? When is all this going to end and your kingdom is going to be set up? And Jesus brings them back. He's like, wait, that's not for you to know or concern yourself with. I have, I have, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and you are to be my witnesses into all the world. And so, you know, the reason I bring that out, tonight we're talking about the focus of the early church. And so here we see the leaders, they're, they're getting a little distracted. Nothing wrong with wanting to know about the kingdom and when it's going to come. But Jesus said, don't worry about that right now. What I want you to focus on is being my witnesses to the world and proclaiming what I have done. And in verses 9 through 11, they're blessed with the privilege to witness Jesus return to the Father and receive the promise there that just as you saw him go, you're going to see him come again. He's going to come back. And so until he comes back, though, the point is, is you need to keep your focus on what I've called you to do as a church and what I've called you to do as you follow me. And so Jesus had given his disciples the Great Commission. And, you know, that's recorded. Most of us are familiar, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. But it's also repeated in Mark 16, 15 through 16, Luke 24, 46 through 49, and John 20, 21, and Acts 1, 8. In all of those places, there's a version of the Great Commission and what the Lord was calling them to do. And the same Spirit of God that was at work in them as the church began, is at work today in, in the church of Jesus Christ. And I, that, that should be exciting to us. You know, just as he worked through the early believers, he wants to work mightily through his church today. So I think it's important that we observe, well, what were they doing so that God was able to work and God was able to do what he desired to do? And so Luke here in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 I think gives us some very important insight into the life of the early church. In the six verses we're going to look, like, look at tonight that we're going to consider, I think we would do well to pay attention to what they were doing at the beginning. What was the early church doing? And so we as a church, um, just so you know where we're coming from, you know, we believe, of course, that the book of Acts is certainly historical. It's an historical book. It gives us a record of what took place as the church began. But we also believe that the book of Acts is descriptive of what the Spirit did through the early church. Um, not only descriptive, but it's also, I'm sorry, prescriptive. So it gives us important instruction in walking out our call to be witnesses in this world. And so there's instruction for us to receive from the book of Acts. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this includes the book of Acts. The book of Acts is also profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. It's not just a historical book. It's not just for us to go look at and say, well, that's great those things happened. It's for us to see what happened and what model we're to follow as a church. And so the verses we're going to look at tonight is the model that we as a church, that Pastor Troy has sought for, to follow as we, as we function as a church. For all the years that we've functioned as a church, these, these verses are key. To, they're a guide to us and what we are to be doing. 
And so let me just read these, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And then we're going to go back and talk about them. It says there, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So you see there in verse 42, uh, Luke tells us they continued steadfastly. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Acts chapter 2, which we're in here, the beginning of it, recounts the, um, the outpouring of the Spirit, the day of Pentecost, and what took place. And then Peter, empowered by the Spirit, stands up and preaches a message uh, to which you know, thousands respond you know, in faith and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so it tells us there in verse 41, it says, right, those, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And so now what, right? Now what were they to do with this immense amount of people, right? 3,000, not to mention all those who were already the, the apostles and the others who were already believers. All of a sudden, they had a mega church, right? And what were they to do? And that's what we see here in verses 42 through 47. This is what they did. This is what they did with all those people. And so continued steadfastly, it says there in verse 42. That word continued steadfastly means to persist in something, hold fast to, continue in, persevere in something. And so what Luke, I think, is trying to convey to us is there was a tenacity with which they did these things. They didn't have an attitude that, well, if we can get around to it, we'll do them. No, their focus was, we are going to do these things. These are the things we're going to stay focused on as a church. Um, and so they were committed to them. They were steadfast in them. They were persevering. And as, you, as another way you could say it, they took it seriously as they did these things. You know, think about an athlete, right? Any athlete of any kind. For them to reap the reward of a championship in their sport, they're going to have to persist in things, right? Um, things like hours and hours of practice, um, getting the proper rest, and eating a strict diet. Those are just to name a few things. Any athlete that's going to achieve anything is going to have to persist in, that, in those things. And that requires the athlete to say no to hundreds of other things that they could be doing, that they could be spending their time on. And in order for them to achieve their, their goal, though, they have to continue steadfastly in those few things that are going to make them successful as an athlete. And I think the same is true for the Church of, of, of Christ that we, if we're going to um, be successful in what God has called us to do, we have to be focused and persist in the things that the early church persisted in. And we have to, at the same time, say no to hundreds of other things that may sound great, they may seem attractive, they may seem like they have great value, but the problem is, is they're gonna, doing those will take us away from these things these core things that the early church was doing and God blessed them in doing these things. 
And so, um, as we think about this tonight, I just want to remind us, you know, this is why, you know, we as a church are committed to these things. This is why we're so committed that on a Sunday morning, we don't spend time doing anything else other than the teaching of the word of God and worship and prayer. You know, on a Wednesday night, we're doing the same thing. And many times throughout the week in different ways, this is what we're doing because we believe this is the model the Lord has laid out for us, for the church. So why did they continue steadfastly? And let's look at these one by one. It says, first of all, in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So what was the apostles' doctrine? Well, first of all, uh, you may know this, but doctrine simply means the content of teaching or teaching. It was the teaching of the apostles. And so what was their teaching? Well, I believe part of their teaching was the Old Testament scriptures that they were teaching to the people. Because obviously, as of yet, they didn't have the New Testament and Jesus said in John 5:39, "You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me." And so Jesus was speaking right of the Old Testament. It testified of him. So the, the apostles, for sure, were speaking and talking about the Old Testament scriptures and how they revealed the coming of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. Um, Jesus, I would have, this is a message I would have loved to have heard, but on the road to Emmaus, the last part of it here, Luke 24, 25 through 27, this is after the resurrection. Jesus meets some disciples that are walking along the way, um, and they don't realize it's him. And then it says there in verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so I think we can safely see that the apostles would have been doing the same thing. They would have been taking the Old Testament scriptures and helping people to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that was promised and all that was foretold by the, by the word of God but, and, and as he spoke through the prophets. And then what else were they probably teaching? Well, I think I pointed it out from Acts chapter 1, how Jesus had continued to teach them after he arose from the dead. And so I think that they were speaking the things that Jesus had taught them, right? Jesus had taught them many things, and they were continuing now to teach them to those who had come to faith. We know from, like I said, from Acts chapter 1, verse 2, we see that um, he had given them commandments. And Jesus had said in John 14, 26, that the Spirit would bring remembrance to them of all things that Jesus said. And so the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching was Old Testament scriptures and the things that Jesus had taught them. Uh, they were teaching to others. And then I think also they were teaching the things that the Spirit of God was teaching them. Because Jesus said in John 16, 13 through 15, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you to all, tr all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. To come, He will glorify me for he take of what is mine and declare it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So the promise that Jesus gave is that the Spirit of God would reveal to them all things that were his. 
and, and teach them. And so they would have been teaching the things that the Spirit had revealed, the things that Jesus had taught them, and the things that are declared in the Old Testament scriptures. These are the things that they would have been teaching. And so today we hold in our hands the Apostles' Doctrine, right? We have the New Testament. It is what they is the teaching of the apostles, what they taught about Christ and what they taught about the church and how the church should function and how we should behave as believers. All that is their teaching. Um, I like what David Guzik says about this. This is every pastor should seek to be unoriginal in the sense that we don't have our own doctrine, but the apostles' doctrine. And so we must persist in the word of God. Even if you've been a believer for decades, right? If, you know, and I'm so thankful, you know, I have known the Lord for over 40 years. I've known the Lord. And so if you've known the Lord for any length of time, you probably in most cases have heard a lot of the things that are said over and over, right? I'm sure tonight as we're looking at this, and I, hopefully there's not anything that's new to you, right? And in fact, I would say that if you've, um, if you've heard, if you, if you say this, wow, this is brand new and you've been walking with the Lord a long time, you, one, you may want to check and make sure what the person is saying is actually biblical, right? And then secondly, Maybe we need to pay attention a little more, right? If we've known the Lord for a long time. So in other words, there is nothing new. And if you've heard it before, good. Good that you've heard it before. And our response should be, I want to hear it again. Because we recognize that we need to be reminded of what the word of God says. I know I need that because I don't know about you, but I'm forgetful. And so I need to be reminded of what the word of God says. And so... I think with that, before I move on, I just want to encourage us with it. As you, the more, the longer you walk with the Lord, again, you're going to have already heard things over and over, but we need to keep walking with the attitude of humility and recognizing, yeah, I've heard that before, but like I said, one, I need to be reminded of it, and two, perhaps there's something the Lord, the Lord wants to teach me again as I hear this. And so have humility, receive the word of God that's being spoken to you and allow it to, to grow and flourish in your life. And then secondly, they were steadfast in fellowship that we see there in verse 42, um, that they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So what is meant by fellowship? Well, fellowship is the Greek word koinia. Um, closest, it means close association involving mutual interest and sharing, association, communion, fellowship, close relationship. And so um, it's this closeness of relationship that the body of Christ has because of the fact that we have Christ in our life. Christ is the center of it all. And because he is in our life, we are supposed to have fellowship with one another. It's supposed to be centered around him and who he is. I want to read a quote from you, to you about, from the, about this, about the early church from Linsky. He says, This is the fellowship of all the members with each other as well as with the apostles. They were one spiritual body, inwardly one by faith in Christ, inwardly and outwardly one by confessing Christ and by adhering to the one doctrine of Christ that was taught by the apostles. And so they kept together as one body and treated each other accordingly, one faith and one teaching, and thus one body and one fellowship. 
No parties, schisms. They were, they were united in fellowship. There was that u- unity that they had. And as we were reminded on Sunday when, when Daniel taught from 2 Peter 1.1, we have obtained all a like precious faith. There's this commonality to our faith in Christ. And, you know, I love how P- Paul expounds on that in Ephesians chapter 4, you know, saying there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? We all share in the same thing together. And so we get to share in that and have fellowship around it and seek to encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. And so why is it important for us to persist in this? Well, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, uh, familiar uh, verses to most of us, but it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what are some things that happen because of fellowship according to this verse? Well, one, we're given the opportunity to consider each other. As we spend time with each other, we get this opportunity to consider one another. And that word consider means to think about carefully or to notice. And so... Quite frankly, there is no substitute for in-person fellowship. You know, it's great that we have technology and ways to communicate, but there's just something different about being together in person and having the opportunity to consider one another, to notice and and pay careful attention to what's going on in each other's life so that we can pray for one another so that we can remind each other of what the word of God says and therefore encourage each other. Secondly, um, some, another thing that happens is that exhortation that Hebrews mentions, but exhorting one another, it says. And so that word um, exhorting means to urge strongly, appeal to, urge, exhort, encourage. And so we, as we gather together and fellowship with one another, this is something we get the opportunity to do and it sh- we should be doing by reminding again each other of what God's word says, calling people back to the truth about what, who Jesus is and what he's done and talking about what the Lord's speaking to us about as we spend time with him. You know, Daniel, again, on Sunday, exhorted us to that um, relational knowledge of the Lord. And so as we walk with the Lord in relationship, we then have the opportunity as we gather with one another to share that with each other and to share with each other what the Lord is speaking about. And the church from the beginning and there in Acts chapter two to the day has always needed this. We've, the church has always needed the encouragement and strength that comes from fellowship. And, you know, it's so highly valuable and the Lord sees the value so much so that when it came to correcting and bringing somebody to repentance, one of the final things that was done if a person was unrepentant was for them to be put out of fellowship. The punishment was to be put out of fellowship so they wouldn't have this fellowship and this encouragement. And so that's how important this is. It's of extreme importance that we make this a priority, that we persist in it like the early church did. And, you know, before I move on from that, you know, the one other encouragement I have is, you know, 
the body of Christ, as I, when I prayed in the opening prayer, the body of Christ obviously is much larger than Calvary Chapel Lynchburg. We're just a portion of the body of Christ. But when it comes to fellowship and having deep fellowship, I believe that God has called each of us to be well-connected into a smaller portion of the body of Christ. And so if that, in your case, in my case, that's Calvary Chapel Lynchburg. We're here, and hopefully you know this is the place God's called you to be. And so you and I need to make the most of, of, of building relationships with one another and having the fellowship with each other that the Lord desires us to have so that we can be strengthened to stand, so that we can be able to endure when trials come um, and, when, you know, and when all kinds of difficulties come. You know, we need the strength that comes from fellowship and so I encourage us to be steadfast in it and to not take it as an optional thing, right? I mean, we all have busy calendars. We all have a lot of things we can be doing, but we need to make fellowship a priority, right? It needs to be something that we prioritize in our life, realizing how much we need it and, and that the Lord designed it for us. And you may say um, that, well, I'm good. I'm, my walk with the Lord is good. I don't think I need so much fellowship right now. Well, I don't think that's true, first of all. But even if it was, what about the people that you're missing out on ministering to them, right? Someone in the body of Christ needs the fellowship that you can provide. And so it's not just about you and me. It's about the whole, the body of Christ and us ministering to one another and so the first two things, they were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. And then it says, and the breaking of bread. So what is the break, break, breaking of bread? I want to read a quote here from, uh, from a commentator. He says, this expression is used in the New Testament to refer to both the Lord's Supper and to eating a common meal. The meaning in any particular case must be determined by the sense of the passage. Here it obviously refers to the Lord's Supper, since it would be quite unnecessary to say that they continued steadfastly eating their meals. And I agree with that. I think what it's referring to here was they continued steadfastly in communion, the Lord's Supper. That's what it's referring to by breaking of bread. And so it was communion that they were sharing together. And so let's just take a minute and talk about, well, why is it important to be steadfast in that? Why does it matter? Well, in Luke chapter 22, 19 and 20, Jesus said this. He says, and it says, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And so why does it matter today to persist as they did in the breaking of bread, in the sharing of communion. Well, one, it matters because out of obedience. It's a thing of obedience. Jesus told us to do it, right? Jesus said, do this. And if you think about it, it's one of the simplest acts of obedience for us as the church to walk in, right? I, there's, this is like a grand slam thing that he's given to us. He's put the, the ball on the tee and said, hit it out of the park, just do this, have communion. It doesn't, you know, it's not hard to do. It doesn't, it's not costly for us to do it. 
You know, and the elements that he gave are the simple bread and juice, two very common things found all over the world that, the, that Christ instituted as a remembrance of what he had done. And so why does it matter? It's an obe- thing of obedience. Two, we need the reminder of his love for us. I think this is huge. And another reason why it's important for us to do this, to regularly pause and share in communion, is so that we can be reminded of his love. The enemy loves to tempt us to question the Lord's love. It's like one of his first attacks. When trials and difficulty come, we can be tempted to wonder, does God still love me? Right? And that the enemy will come with those fiery darts and start to question the character of God and start to question whether he loves you or not because you're suffering. And the cross, and that's what we're remembering when we share in communion, we're remembering the cross. And the cross is the Lord's once for all statement that God loves us. He's made this once for all. He's like, I've told you, I've showed you by the greatest, in the greatest possible way I could, I laid down my life for you. And so I love you. And so your circumstances, your trials or my trials that we go through are no indication of God's love for us. They have not, they're not related at all in the sense of, of, of him not loving us. He allows us to go through them because he wants us to grow but his love is remaining the same. He's declared it once for all. So we need to make sure to pause and share in communion, be reminded of his love. And because it's easy again for us to forget it and it's easy to lose sight of it. And third, why should we do this? We need the reminder of his sacrifice, right? A great price was paid for our salvation. Peter in 1 Peter 1 18 and 19 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so sharing in communion, we get the chance to pause and remember the great sacrifice that Christ made for us. And remembering that sacrifice, I believe, will encourage us to obedience and holiness, because as we set that before us and remember what he's done, it's going to encourage us to press on in the things he's calling us to do. Because how can we not when we remember the cost that was paid so that we could have salvation? And so they made this a regular part of, of their life, remembering Christ through, through sharing, by breaking the bread and sharing in communion. And then we see that they were steadfast in prayers. Um, You know, prayer was central to the life of the early church. I know they recognized their desperate need for the Lord. I mean, Jesus had given them this task of taking the gospel to the world, and they recognized that they were not up to it. And so they prayed. They prayed. And I would encourage you, when you have the opportunity to, again, go through the book of Acts, is to note how often the church prayed and what drove them to prayer and what was the focus of their prayer because it's very powerful and instructive to us just how we should pray and how important prayer is. You know, the apostles had witnessed firsthand the importance of prayer in the life of Jesus, right? Prayer was so important to Jesus that it was the one thing we're told that they asked him to teach us. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in Luke 11, 1, 
um, leading into, um, it said, well, Luke 11, one, I'm sorry. Jesus, it says there, now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so just some basic things I want to note about prayer. I mean, this isn't, um, you know, high level stuff, but I think it's important basic reminders. One, prayer is simply talking to God and we get to talk to God and we get to, to take our um, request to him. Prayer is one way in which we can worship the Lord. We get to worship him through prayer. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the simple laying of the request that we have before him. Prayer is how the Lord has made it possible for us to confront the kingdom of darkness and his strength. I mean, we get to confront evil by going to the Lord and by taking it to him. Prayer conforms us to God's will. Prayer gives room for God to move in our lives. And prayer is how we acknowledge our dependence on God. I mean, it's, it's an important thing that we take the time like, Lord, I need you. <laughs> I need what only you can provide. And prayer allows us that opportunity. And prayer is how we look to see his will done in our lives and in the church. I mean, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his. And if we're going to do those things and see his will accomplished, we have to pray. In the introduction of a parable on prayer in Luke 18, verse 1, it says that he spoke a parable to them that men, men ought always to pray, always ought to pray and not lose heart. That was Jesus' instruction to us is that we would pray at all times. And so I want to encourage you guys, you know, we have the week of prayer coming up on sun, starting this Sunday night at 6. Let's, let's gather together this next week. We're going to be here every night, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're going to gather at 7 o'clock. We're going to be here gathering to worship and pray. And so let's gather and pray. And, you know, we have many times through the week where we gather as a church to pray. The women on Monday mornings at 6.30, the men on Tuesday mornings at 6, and then Sunday nights at 6. We gather all, we gather all those times corporately to pray. And the early church was, as we see here, they were steadfast in this. And the Lord wants us to do the same, to be steadfast. And in verse 43, it says, uh, it speaks here of, the, of, uh, of some things that took place. It says, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. As the church was steadfast in these things, the spirit of God was working and it's important to note the work of the Spirit here um, in the early church. Some have called the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. But I think a better title for this book is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at work among them. And as Luke wrote this story of the early church, he was showing, as I mentioned earlier, how the Spirit worked through them. And, you know, the Bible warns us that we can quench the Spirit of God, right? We can quench His work in our midst. But because they were persisting in things, these things that we've talked about, I think they were creating an environment where the Holy Spirit was free to move and work. The Spirit of God wasn't being quenched because they had their focus where it needed to be. The Spirit of God was free to move. And so it tells us there in verse 43 that fear came upon every soul. So there was a reverence for God. God, God was rightly revered in their midst. And, um, and the, you know, the Lord desires that still for us today. And, you know, I encourage us, we come together, you know, let's don't be too casual in how we come to the Lord. 
you know, may there be a reverence, and as with the early church, and a, just a reverence and a, a right fear of God and who he is. And then it says, wonders and signs were done. As I said earlier, the Spirit did mighty works through the apostles, demonstrating their message was from God. And so God was moving in a great way, so much so, um, you get to Acts chapter 17, verse 6, uh, which is about 20 years later, after here in Acts chapter 2, and it says there that the enemies of the cross of Christianity said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And the reason they were able to turn the world upside down was because they operated in the power of the Spirit and they kept their focus on these things. They didn't get distracted by other stuff. And verses 44 through 45, we see the result here in their lives. They, we see the love for one another. Um, and it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. You know, Jesus had said in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's what we see happening here. We see a love for one another. I want to just note there, Luke says, um, they were, they were to, uh, all, and all who believe were together. And it's easy to overlook that word together, but they were together. And if you're going to show love for one another, there must be some time that you're together. It's, it, is time, it is in time together that we have an opportunity to, to show love to one another. It's also, though, a time when we're t- together that love can be tested, right? Because um, in case you didn't know, uh, all of us at times have quirks and things about us that can make it challenging to love us, right? And, so, and the more that we're together, the more that we have to work at loving one another. But they were together. They spent time together and it gave an opportunity for them to grow in love and to show love to one another. And then we also see in those verses that they met each other's physical needs. They shared their possessions with each other. They sold land and possessions to help meet the needs others had. This was willingly being done. It was not a forced action. It was something that was just happening as, the, as they were together and the Spirit of God was moving. They were caring for one another. And, you know, again, going back to the thing of fellowship, people are not going to know the needs we have in our life unless we fellowship together. If we're not in fellowship, people can't know what you're going through. They can't know what you need. And so it says there that they were giving to each as each one had need. Well, how did they know they had need? Because they were together, right? They were spending time together, and as a result, we're able to see needs, and we're able to meet them. And we know as, we've gone, as we go through the book of James, James makes the point very, very clear, and as does John in, in 1 John, that caring for your brother in need is evidence of genuine faith. It's proof that there is genuine faith in our life. And that brings us to verse 46 here. There was joy and contentment. Uh, we see, so continuing daily, actually verse 46 and 7. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. And so we see here that there was a joy in their midst, right? 
They were just joyous because of what the Lord had done and, and the work he was doing in them. They had been saved. They had come out of darkness to light and they were sharing that with one another. And so there was a joy. And, you know, following the Lord and being a believer is not meant to be some humdrum, dreary thing. <laughs> there should be joy. Like we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. We've been brought into a relationship with the Lord. Our sins have been forgiven. And there's so much to rejoice over. And yes, there's challenges, but there, but there should be joy. And there was joy in their midst. And I think secondly, we see there was contentment. It says that they ate their food with gladness, speaking of the joy and simplicity of heart. Their focus was on the Lord and seeking to please him. They were not after the, what the world could give them. And so there was a contentment. There was a simplicity of heart and because their focus was in the right place. And the Lord wants our focus to be there. And this is probably one of the bigger challenges for us in the Western world. We have so much that's offered to us. There's so many things trying to tell us, well, you need this to be happy. If you have that, you're going to be happy. If you have this, you're going to be happy. We were talking about this in our home fellowship last night about how, you know, when you were a child, uh, you know, my wife was sharing about this and I was remembering the same thing. You'd see, you'd be watching cartoons and inevitably there's always a cartoon about this toy and they would make it look so great. And you would be like, I, if I had that, I would be happy. That would be fantastic. And only to find out that when you got the toy, you didn't have the perfect little scene that they had there to play with it in. You didn't have all the other stuff. It wasn't near as great as they made it look. And that's how it is even in adult life, right? The world is trying to tell us you need this to be content. And they were content because of the Lord. And their focus being upon him and upon caring for one another, they had contentment. And the result of all this, as we saw, as I just read in verse 47, when God was glorified and God blessed. You know, they were giving God the glory for his work in their midst. They were not taking credit for what was happening. God was being honored. And as a result, he added to the church. He was adding to his church. People were being saved because they had their focus in the right place. And so, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And I believe that the Lord still works this way. If we remain focused as a church upon what we've been focused on since the beginning, God is going to be the one that continues to give the increase. You know, it's wonderful what we see God doing at our church. It's wonderful to see the growth and, the, and people coming. But we as a church, we're not doing anything different than we've done for over 25 years. We're doing the same things that we did from the beginning, and the, the, which are the things that we looked at tonight here in Acts chapter 2. We are staying steadfast in these, in these things. And... As I conclude here, I just want to say on a personal note, just how thankful I am that that is what our pastor has been steadfast in, in all these years. You know, there are a lot of other things we could have been distracted with. There's all kinds of world events that happen and political things that go on. And if our focus would have been in those places, I wouldn't have the growth that I've had in my life and my walk with the Lord. And I know that there's many of you that can testify to the same thing of how God has grown you 
and how God has worked in your life because we have remained steadfast in these few things. These few things. And so this is what we want to keep doing. We want to remain steadfast and not lose sight. And who knows, the Lord may come back any day. We, that's, he may, and that would be wonderful if he did. But until he does, let's stay, stay steadfast. I mean, nothing has changed. The same Jesus they saw ascend is coming back, right? But until he does, we have the same command to follow. We are to be witnesses to the world of Jesus until he returns. <laughs> He's not done working through his church like he did here at the beginning in Acts chapter 2. He desires to continue this work today. But we need to remain focused. We must be steadfast in God's word. Steadfast in teaching it. Steadfast in studying it. Steadfast in obeying it. We must be steadfast in fellowship. We must be steadfast in remembering the cross. And we must be steadfast in prayer. There is never a place for us to stop being steadfast in those things. Never. Nothing is worth it. Now, I don't care how big of an issue you want to bring up. Nothing should replace those things. And so this is what we're committed to as a church, is to stay here. Because at the end of our days, you know, my wife and I had the privilege to visit with a sister who's near the end soon be going to see the Lord. And she has the hope of heaven in her life and of seeing Jesus because she is grounded in the word of God. And I had hope to share with her. My wife did because we are grounded in the word of God. God has poured into our lives. And I can't even begin to say how much, I, how thankful I am that for over 25 years that's happened here, that these have remained our focus and so may this remain on our hearts. This is what we're about as a church, is these things. And let's not lose sight of them. The worship team can come forward, and we're going to close and worship here with a song. We're going to be up here for prayer. But let me, let me close in prayer, and then, um, and then we'll close with a song. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your, uh, the simplicity of what you called us to as a church, Lord. I thank you that you've called us to be your witnesses in this world, Lord, and that your desire is, is that, Lord, we be steadfast, Lord, in, in your word and steadfast in prayer and steadfast in fellowship and in remembering, Lord, the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, if for any of us tonight, if we've grown cold at all to the truth that, Lord, you shed your blood for us, you laid down your life, Lord. You suffered alone on the cross so that we, Lord, could have a relationship with you. Lord, if, that, if we've become indifferent to that, Lord, will you please stir our hearts tonight afresh of, Lord, your great love, Lord, and of how important these things are in our lives, Lord. And so strengthen us, Lord. I pray tonight that if anyone is even considering, Lord, walking away from fellowship and walking away from from you and being close to you and your people, Lord. I pray you would draw them back, Lord. I pray that, Lord, their eyes would be open to see, Lord, how important it is to stay close. And, and Lord, we look forward to you coming back, Lord. <laughs> Lord, uh, we say, come, Lord Jesus. We, we look for your return. But until that day, Lord, may, you, may we be steadfast. I pray that when you come back, that you would find this church, Lord, being steadfast in these things. Lord, not caught up in other distractions, but 
being steadfast in what you've called us to do. And Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of the story you're writing about your church and that your spirit is still working. And the Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.